Hello, this is Mark Taylor and welcome back to the National Association for Primary Education podcast. This is our first episode of 2019 and I hope you had a very happy and restful holiday season. Today I'm chatting to Steve Davis, who is the executive head teacher of the Sheerness West Federation of Schools on the Isle of Sheppey. Um, and he's been the lead in a European project which started just in December, just before Christmas, which is when we did this interview. And he was going to be chatting to us about some of the countries involved, some of the things they would hope to get out of it, both in terms of the children and also the staff that are taking part as well. So I hope you enjoy this. This is my conversation with Steve Davis. Hello and welcome back to the National Association for Primary Education podcast. Today I'm joined by Steve Davis and Steve is the Executive Head Teacher of the Sheerness West Federation of Schools um, on the Isle of Sheppey um, in Kent and um, thanks for joining me today Steve. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Um, I know you're going to be talking about really interesting and fantastic European projects which you're involved in. It's just um, had a conference in the last couple of days. But can we just start with a little bit of sort of professional background just so that you can sort of paint a picture of, uh, of how this all fits together? Yeah, um, well, obviously, I'm Steve Davis. I was uh, executive head teacher in Lewisham for some time, uh, more years than I care to remember, to be fair. Um, and I was involved in many European projects through the uh, Comenius and the Erasmus Plus um, funding stream from the EU. And when I came to Sheppey, the Isle of Sheppey, to these two schools, I saw a need really for us to be a bit more broader in our thinking. You know, we, we need to get the Isle of Sheppey out there, its profile. We also need to get our school's profile out there as well. So my motivation really for going into the project is not only to promote independence in our children, which is the whole point of the project, but also that it's a double pronged attack really in terms of getting a profile for the Isle of Sheppey, uh, which often has a poor reputation, unfairly so in my opinion. Um, and it is so far east, the most eastern point in, in, in England at the moment. Um, and, you know, we're closer to France than we are to many other cities in England. So we, we do have that European connection and we, we need to, um, you know, uh, portray that and, and, and really try and get that across to our children and our community. I think that's, it's a really interesting point in terms of just that sort of broadening of horizons really like you say that sort of two-pronged attack of actually being having been involved in these sorts of things before so you really understand how they work and also that sense of I, I guess you you like to keep the community and and the and the, the real benefits of having these sorts of um, um, yeah. small school federations as it were but also at the same time the fact that the world's a big place and you can actually achieve it and explore it in in the best way that you can. Yeah, and I think it's important at this current time politically because of the, the Brexit debate that's going on. You know, somebody said to me, a friend of mine said to me, well, we're coming out of Europe and you're taking your schools into Europe, Steve. Um, you know, explain that for me. And, and I explain it in this way, in the sense that the world is a big place. Um, our children, you know, often coming from um, socially deprived backgrounds, um, you know, they need some joy in their life. And, and I think we are trying to promote independent learning strategies such as the Dalton programme, which we found and I've discovered many years ago in Holland working superbly well, uh, which promotes self-initiated learning, cooperation, ownership of the learning. And I think for our children in particular, this is a desperate need. Um, it's, a dr it's a passion of mine that children should be independent and in charge of their own learning, always has been. Um, and I think it's more pertinent here than anywhere else I've ever worked, to be quite frank. And the other thing, I mean, I'm not going to get into a political debate about Brexit and all of that, but I think it's a really important point that you raised there. And 
and also I think it's the fact that Europe's always going to be there (laughs) whatever our relationship happens to be we're going to have a relationship in some form or another Um, so actually that's the only thing that we really need to understand like you say from this sort of growth mindset kind of idea that whatever the relationship is like you say taking ownership of how you want to have that relationship as a as a school as a federation as a child sort of exploring these things actually it's an ongoing relationship even if that relationship changes Absolutely. And one of our drivers at Federation, we have 10 drivers which, which keep us going and drive everything we do. And one of them is to provide wow experiences, uh, WOW experiences for our children. That involves being on the island, experiences we can get from our wonderful heritage and culture here. But you also need to get off the island and go and see what the world is all about. And this is about getting off the island big time. You know, it's not just going to Maidstone or London. Uh, we'll be going to Warsaw, we'll be going to Vilnius, we'll be going to um, places in Holland, you know, like um, Deventer. So in eastern Holland, you know, we're, we're going to Portugal. We're really going to push the boundaries with this project over the next two years. And, and, and an important strand of the project is, is for professional development for the teachers. And we've chosen a mix of um, experienced teachers uh, we've got a, an, an NQT, we've got a teacher who's been teaching for 13 years, and I think it's important that that breadth of experience and knowledge is there because everybody's always learning at this federation, and you know, I could have had 15 teachers involved in this because they were the ones who put their hands up to go, and we could only unfortunately, unfortunately choose two from each school, uh, so they're going to act as envoys and cascade the learning back through when they get back to school. I love the fact that so many people are on board because that really is an important um, factor in everything isn't it is having everybody on the, on the same page on you know fighting and and supporting whatever that those goals are so so can you take us sort of really sort of back um exactly what is the project um what's it what's its aims what's it for and um, and how many different types of schools and, and people are actually involved okay well the project is actually called freedom without chaos which is a, a um, statement from helen parkhurst who was the, the founder of the dalton program in the 1920s. In fact, the Dalton pedagogy is an English pedagogy. It was something she used in America, um, but in England, in schools before the, fir- the before the First World War, especially and just after, uh, the, the Dalton pedagogy was quite popular. Uh, it was only the 1945, I think, Butler Education Act that stopped it because uh, that was when education in this country became a bit more austere and a bit more teacher-led, to be frank. Um, so it is about um, giving ownership of the learning back to the children. That's the main thrust of the project, self-initiated learning, cooperative learning. Um, and, and in a time when, you know, test, test, test in this country are, are the order of the day, it is about self-assessment as well. So the children assessing each other's learning and their own learning. So it's about giving them that freedom but without the chaos. You know, it's not just going to be um, a 60s ideal of, you know, let everybody be free. It is about having a structure to the learning, but there's a freedom within that structure that the children develop for themselves. And I think that's what I'm fascinated about. Um, the, the countries that are involved, obviously Poland, Portugal, um, the UK, obviously, with those being involved, two, two of my schools are involved, um, and also Holland um, and Lithuania. So we, we had an international conference this week to launch the project. And uh, John Cook and uh, Doug Springate, who are ex-University of Greenwich international educators, uh, keynoted for me and talked about place and having a sense of place and memory. Um, and that's important, that place, you know, environment, the geography 
of where all our children are coming from and their context is taken into consideration as well. That was part of what we wanted when we chose our partners because we're the leading uh, school in the project. So we had to make the bid application to gain the funding and we gained 80,000 euros to do a two year project which will involve obviously international exchange meetings, but also transnational conferences to review and evaluate the project as we go. What I really, I find fascinating as well is that whole idea that education itself, like you say, um, this whole um, podcast network that's part of Education on Fire is all about literally people following their passion, you know, finding what really lights you up and, and going with that. And and this really seems exactly that this sort of thing that you you need a structure, you need the experience and of of teachers and an idea of of the of the levels of education that children need because we're trying to support them to be their best their best selves. But at the same time, we don't know what that is. Only they really can do that. And like I said, that's it's a, it's a really interesting balance, isn't it, between how they yeah. do that. So so what what's your sort of view of, of how that works in terms of the structure and also the flexibility for them to to learn themselves. I think, you know, all five countries are involved in this project. We all have a system that we have to work within. Um, you know, I mean, obviously the Dalton School are working within the Dalton framework. It's still it's still inspected as a Dalton School. It still has to meet certain criteria. Of course, we have Ofsted, who we have to, um, you know, nod to, I'm going to say. Um, you know, but if, if your school is... The beautiful thing about Ofsted at the moment and the chief inspector in England, just if I may just talk about that for a second, is that she's actually saying that we have now more freedom and she seems to be putting her money where her mouth is. I think Christine Spielman in the sense that the curriculum now is going to be a central drive. So this fits in with this project perfectly because the curriculum we've been trying to develop over the last four and a half years is about creativity. It's about children being in charge of their learning. And all the five countries that are involved have this this almost drive, passion. I noticed from the last three days we've spent together that every colleague, even at dinner, you know, when we were going out for dinner together, we're talking about children as individuals, children with their own views, the philosophy of education, getting children to tell us what they want in terms of a curriculum. At my school, we have a saying, and it is, um, if the curriculum is exciting, the teachers will want to teach it and the children will want to learn it. And I think that's crucial. Even though we do have all these expectations, national measures and all the rest of it that we have to do, and we don't argue with it anymore. We, we just get on with it as teachers and schools because we know that's, you know that's how we survive. However, there's still a place for me, and there's a big place for this, in the sense that we can develop our own curriculums, we can stay true to our values, and we can really promote that independent learning, which children in the 21st century are absolutely going to need. I think that's really true, isn't it? Because the the the, the knowledge and fact finding is just a completely different world than it ever was before. You, it's just that everything's to hand, everything's on a smartphone. It's the ability to work together. It's the inquisitive minds. It's um, it's it's that excitement of wanting to to solve a problem. And and, and I know from various conferences I've been to, businesses are crying out for this. And I think it's it's a win win situation for everybody because it's the most natural way to learn, really. Definitely. And I think, you know, you mentioned technology there. We're also involved in an Apple project um, where we're using iPads with the children. Uh, the children here use iPads 
you know, as if, well, as I used to use a pencil and paper, to be honest, they use them for everything. Uh, we've got green screens so they can travel to Egypt or to ancient Greece and, and bring it alive, you know. Uh, Rose Street Primary, my, one of my other schools, was, was did a Harry Potter week uh, just the week before half term. So the whole school was transformed into Hogwarts. And the writing that came out of that, and, and even the maths and the science, I mean, the science that week was potion making. So, you know, making it relevant for children, making the curriculum relevant for them in today's modern world with all the technological uh, joys they've got at their fingertips um, is a challenge for teachers, actually. But also it's a joy. I mean, I, I, I asked all my teachers, how did you feel? Uh, having spent a week at Hogwarts. I mean, I dressed up as Dumbledore. They all dressed up as various characters. It was incredible. It made the local press because it was such a big thing to do. Um, the children absolutely loved it, but so did the teachers. So uh, the question we ask, is the curriculum exciting to teach? Is it exciting to learn? Well, it definitely was that week, I can tell you. And you, you talked about the teachers and and how sometimes that can feel difficult is, is that because their sort of their experience and maybe their training is, is is much more traditional in that in that sort of how we perceive education to be and and how do you sort of transform that feeling into that much more creative idea i think so i think there is there is an issue there without, without question i do some work for the university of greenwich and i i do the um the pgce opening lecture every year and, and i call it to infinity and beyond um with, with, with a hopefully not being sued by Disney. But, you know, and I, and I talk about, you know, the sky is not the limit. And, and actually, I've been doing this for 30 years now, this education business, and I absolutely love it. I still love it. I've still got passion and enthusiasm. And that's all I want from students and, and, and young teachers is to have that passion and enthusiasm to learn. Because if you're a good learner, you'll be a, a damn fine teacher. Um, you know, people who are closed off to learning. I, I'll give you an example. One of the teachers who's involved in the project from Rose Street, um, she's been teaching for 13 years. And I, she was somebody who I found when I came here who was, yeah, not happy. You know, she was considering where her next move would be. Involving her in a project like this has completely stimulated her. It's completely um, woken her up again, if you like. She loves children. She loves teaching. She, she knows that. Um, but sometimes I think in the way education has gone over the last 10 to, to 12 years in terms of the uh, prescriptive nature of the English system, I think some teachers' creativity has been knocked out of them, to be honest. Uh, so colleges and universities and, uh, and teacher training institutions have to be aware of the fact that, you know, what the system is asking them to do and what schools might request them to do, there might be a conflict in that way. Um, and I think places like the University of Greenwich do actually partner really well with schools so we're always able to give our feedback as to how those courses should be reshaped. I think that's really interesting and, and I know that I've had various conversations with people um, in recent months about this kind of thing that some of the people involved in education even involved in training sometimes because of the amount of time like you say the system has been in place now as, as it currently is their whole experience of school and, and education is is sort of one dimensional um yeah. and actually it's only the really more experienced teachers with that sort of far-reaching historical idea of actually having more freedom that can sometimes see it almost going full circle in some respects yeah i mean i was i was a teacher i was trained under the system of the integrated day 
where you know as a primary practitioner you had 11 subjects and you integrated them into your day uh, and you, you wheeled the children around during the week the different activities and they got to experience art music science you know the whole whole range one of my concerns at the moment and i have had this concern for some time as a head is that the arts in particular and sports are being squeezed for the english the, the reading writing and maths because Ofsted did place, and, and I think they, they, they have to accept this, they did place too greater emphasis on the three R's. I understand, you know, the country needs to have people who are literate and numerate, and, 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 but we also need problem solvers. We need uh, scientific thinkers. We need people who can follow lines of inquiry to solve a problem. I think the CBI made a statement two years ago that the people that are coming out of universities at the moment are great at passing tests and very systematic, but set, pose them a problem to solve and they struggle. And of course, business uh, leaders are, are worried about that. I'm, I'm worried about the fact that, you know, if we have a narrow curriculum, we'll produce a narrow population. Um, and that's why projects like this are, are helping, I think, to, to widen everybody's perspective and not have that narrow curriculum that I think some schools are suffering from at the moment, particularly high schools and secondary schools, I think, where you're finding arts and music and sports being done outside of the school day because the vast majority of the curriculum has to be taken over by the three R's. Yes, and, and I think, you know, there are some children who will be lucky enough to have a supportive family that that creative and the art side gets filled because they're able to be involved in that or they have experience of it but I personally feel that you know especially at primary school just that breadth of of experience and 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 just being able to um, get involved in as many things as possible because then you, you get to understand that what is it that really I do like you know and that there are always things that you know we we, we yeah. um there's always things that we're better at than others you know but when we understand that ah but I can do this and I really get this and this really is something I enjoy this not so much but actually it's part and parcel of the fabric of everything that we do um, then you realize that school's valuable in everything that you do don't you I think like you said when it's very prescriptive when it's just about the three R's if that's not your strength and you struggle with it then you just find the whole idea of learning um, something which is really tricky. And, and again you're creating a narrow outcome aren't you in terms of the, the people you create as an education system. I think the British, I'm, I'm a keen cyclist, and I think the British Cycling Association uh, made a statement about, you know, where's the next Olympic cycling champion going to come from if cycling and, and cycling proficiency is not on every primary school agenda? Uh, so it's, it's as important as that. You know, what we do now in primary schools is going to affect what's happening 20, 30, 40 years later. Uh, I always take, say to my young teachers when I'm training young teachers, you are the people who bake the cake. The icing is put on by somebody else, but you're baking the cake. It's, it's, it's the incredible ingredients you're going to mix together and bake that is going to make that person the person they are when they're you know 20. I also say to young teachers, I want those children to be mentioning your name around a dinner table in 20 years' time. They need to remember who you are and what you did and how you impacted on their lives. And I don't think that, I can't remember the teacher who taught me to read, but I can certainly remember the teacher who taught me to ride a bike, that was my father, and I can certainly remember the teacher who taught me to act and perform and sing and dance and play uh, the football to an excellent level, which, you know, I achieved. And it really is often, like you say, it's it's that person that opens a door to something which then makes you go, like, say, that whole wow factor. And it can be a big event, but it can also be a small thing, which is just that chink of light coming through, which you know is something you're drawn to. Um, but like you say about the arts, it's often about how it makes you feel, isn't it? And the arts are something which just, 
um, creates an environment which is very different than some lots of the other subjects and it also gives you a chance to express and feel something and I think it's when you get that connection between how you're made to feel whether it's through the subject matter or the actual subjects themselves like music or dance um, or whether actually it's just a teacher talking to you in such a way that they really understand that it's you they're talking to they're interested in you and what you're about all those things when they come together just the the whole way of how you feel is just completely transformed I think Absolutely. And just um, at the moment, we're holding a, the executive head teacher's Christmas card competition, which is, sounds very highfalutin. But basically, I'm asking the children to design the Christmas cards that I will send out to other schools, uh, my peers, my colleagues, but also to the authority, to the local MP. So it's going out to quite a wide audience. And, it, and the excitement and, and the, the absolute fervor that's going on at the moment, I'll have 600 entries that I have to sift through to choose four winners. Um, it's a terrible job, actually, in one way, because it, you have to disappoint 596 <laughs> children. But in, in actual fact, it's brilliant because what it's done is it's stimulated an interest. You know, it, 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 this doesn't get that kind of emphasis normally. So you have to find ways uh, and create ways. I also have a writing competition where I want children to write the best letter that they can persuade me to give them even more money for the school council. You know, it's finding ways, I think, creative ways to stimulate children's learning. And as you say, to tap into their interests, because I think when you're teaching, sometimes you can be forgiven, especially in England, not so much in the Dalton program, but in England, you could be forgiven for forgetting that you've got 30 individuals sitting there. Um, you know, and when we're looking at data and we're, we've got to do all that kind of data analysis, we've got to remember that these are individual human beings, as I say, that are going to grow up to be, you know, the, the adults of the future. They really are. And you were talking about data there. I mean, in terms of the European project itself, is what's the sort of the overall outcome? Um, what's the aim aim for it in terms of sort of the end of the two year project? I think it was that you said. Just in, you know, is there something that you're striving for? Is it just a way of of seeing how things develop? What what's the sort of the the end game, as it were? I think that's an interesting question, Andy, because over the last three days we've been discussing milestones and how we will assess and how we will analyze our successes and i think some of the soft edge data which is about people's opinions is going to be done through data entry surveys and, and exit surveys so we're going to we're going to survey children staff and parents in all 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 the countries to see one how they feel now do they feel that they get an independent learning curriculum is it self-driven learning you know we're going to we're going to really test that and test the water there and be very brave and ask and ask very you know straightforward questions what do you want to get out of a european project as a parent or as a child or as a teacher what, what's your aim you know and also what are you going to contribute to it um so those surveys are crucial in terms of collecting evidence of course the british council who's my national agency in, in where i get my funding from as part of the erasmus program uh, are asking for harder edge data you know uh, they're we're going to use some of our uh, performance data of the children to to measure the successes we're, we're focusing on nursery reception year one and year two as our project because in two years time i want to go for another two years to develop the program into uh, key stage two. So this for me is a four year plan, not a two year. But for the two year project, yes, we're gonna to have to have evidence which shows that there's been an impact on the learning. But I think that can come from pupil voice. You know, we're very big on asking our children how they feel, um, how they feel they've succeeded. So I think we're, we're just gonna do that really. Um, that will give us a wealth of evidence as well as to how successful the project's been in terms of promoting cooperation, 
uh, ownership of the learning and self-driven independent strategies. And if people want to find out more about it, is there a website or, an, or somewhere where they can go in and, and explore for themselves? At the moment, it will be our school websites, but we are building a project website. Now, that won't be up and running until the end of January, but we've commissioned a local website designer on the island, and he, he made a presentation to the group this week, and they were, everybody was very excited about what he presented. So we're going to have a project website where people can actually go in. Don't have a link to that at the moment, as I say, because he's building it. But what I can do is, 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 is give that later on. But at the moment, you can find some information on our school website about that, or you can contact the school directly, and I'll always talk to people about the project, yes. That's great, and we'll, we'll have all those links um, available on the show notes. So if if you go to educationonfire.com um, and then in the search bar just search for Steve Davis then um, this the, this episode will come up and, and all the show notes will be there so we can put those links that we have already and, and we'll update it as and as when we can as well so um, it's been really interesting chatting to you Steve I, it's, I can feel your passion and everything everything coming through and I'm really excited to, to see how it progresses forward and and would you be able to come back on the show and actually keep us up to date maybe we'll do a few over the course of the two years just to sort of see how it progresses and, and some of the insights that you're gaining yeah it'd be my pleasure to do that lovely thanks very much for chatting to us you're welcome